1: My privilege to introduce our speaker tonight, Uh, the Reverend Joe He has been our RUF campus minister at Penn State now for five years, and I can remember meeting him uh, probably just over five years ago. It was about this time uh, I was chairman of our RUF uh, committee for Presbytery uh, in charge of helping to conduct the search to find the next man uh, to follow Alex Watlington, if you remember him, uh, who was serving at Penn State before Joe. And uh, Penn State is just a, a big strategic campus for us. We wanted to find the right guy, and the Lord just provided in sending us Joe up from uh, University of Alabama, Bur- uh, Birmingham. Uh, southerner coming up and uh, has done an extraordinary job uh, leading the campus ministry, nurturing the students, reaching out, and just really equipping students to run the ministry, And they, they just are a stellar example of, of a student-run ministry in terms of the nuts and bolts, and Joe preaching and leading, teaching, discipling, and helping equip students to, to serve effectively. Uh, so uh, we're sorry that uh, he will be leaving us, uh, but uh, he has taken a call to, to Greenville, South Carolina, and we're excited for him, sad for us, uh, but been knowing that uh, oftentimes RUF ministries ministers come in and they serve for a season, And God calls them to the church, which is really what we want. We want our campus ministers serving in the church and serving as church planters and however the Lord calls them. So we're very grateful for the time we've had with Joe and Melissa and grateful that Joe could be here uh, to bring God's word to us uh, this evening. So, Joe, brother, thank you so much for being with us tonight and for serving faithfully at Penn State.
0: Good evening. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to open God's Word with you tonight. A point of privilege, I would like to thank uh, this church for the ways that you have prayed for us faithfully, the ways that you have supported us financially. Truly, uh, the work at Penn State is, well, it wouldn't be there without you, and you have served there through the ways that you have partnered with us, and a heartfelt thank you to you. Uh, Tonight, what I want to do is read a very familiar passage uh, to many of us, I assume. And originally, I was going to look at a slightly larger chunk, and I've since decided that was a little bit foolish. And so we're just going to read uh, the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5, verse 2 through 11. And Jesus opened up his mouth and taught them, saying, Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for the Scriptures. We've just sung that you create faith through your word. We know that you sustain it as well. We ask that you would do that tonight by your Spirit. We ask that you would dig out for us ears to hear and eyes to see the risen Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus uses the word blessed over and over again, and it poses the question right off the bat, what does it mean to be blessed? What is blessing? What is the good life? And if anything has helped me to understand what blessing is, it is the social media hashtag blessed. Uh, and I'm kidding, of course, uh, if, if, you, if you don't know, you can sort of look on social media with a, a hashtag, looks like a pound sign on the phone, and see what people associate with blessing, what they associate with the word blessed. And it's amazing to me, especially on campus, how much of our conception of blessing comes from what others project in the name of blessed. Perhaps we would benefit from perusing some of these blessings. So, I've looked at what people have associated with blessing and blessed. I want to share a few with you. At C. Kurt Stevens writes Love this gal. 25 years ago, we said, I do. Can't imagine my life with anyone else. I definitely outpunted my coverage. Hashtag blessed, and attached was a very sweet picture of a couple celebrating their anniversary. Very sweet picture of blessed. At BernieBoy9 says, happy to announce I'm the male Hawkeye athlete of the year. Hashtag blessed. Okay, so sometimes it seems to be a little self serving. At Tillian writes, when you have enough songs that you have to Google your own lyrics to relearn them, Hashtag blessed. Okay, this guy's too much. Too much. So what does it mean to be blessed? What does our culture think of the word blessing? It's confused uh, at best. Uh, Sometimes it is sincere. It is filled with gratitude. Sometimes it is a thinly veiled, humble brag. And sometimes it's outright, well, lack of self-awareness at best and just pride um so what does it mean to be blessed uh npr ran a story earlier this year chasing this theme and the title was hashtag blessed is everyone happier than you on social media have you ever wondered and if you're not on social media have you ever just wondered if your neighbors are happier than you or if those who seem to go on the vacations that you want to go on are happier than you In this article, they reported that somebody posted on Twitter asking for photos of people that they shared where outwardly they look great, the circumstances are wonderful, and inwardly they were dying. And the response was powerful. Tons of people responded, yes, here is a picture of me on the beach. I look like I'm in great shape and I was suicidal. Here's a picture of me on a cruise ship and I'm in the middle of a divorce. Here's a picture of me with my family, and none of us were speaking to each other. And what we find is that we often, maybe ourselves, project a picture of blessing to others that does not fit with what we are experiencing inwardly. Certainly there are those around us who are doing this. Researchers now show that those of us who spend the most time on social media are more likely to enter into a season of depression, even if we don't use the hashtag. And whether or not we frequent social media, whether or not we're connecting with what I'm talking about right now, which certainly we're mixed uh, in this room, one thing is sure, we all want the good life. We all want blessing. And it is very clear That in our culture, it is typical, and maybe you can identify with this, of projecting something that doesn't quite align with how things actually are inside. But what if true blessing actually comes from a place, not of fullness, but of emptiness? It sounds completely counterintuitive, and yet I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying tonight, that blessing does not come where you are full, but where you are Empty. The Beatitudes, right? The, the place where we find what the good life is. Who are those who are blessed? The Beatitudes do not tell us how to get blessing. Jesus is simply telling us where blessing is, what it means to be blessed, more specifically, what it means to be known by the Blesser. The book of Matthew reveals Jesus as the long-awaited king. He's ushering in his kingdom. And so if we want to find true blessing, we need to learn how to bow the knee before the true king of heaven and earth. We must also learn to listen to him speak. As the last great prophet, his words are trustworthy and true, but we also need to learn what our need for him to be our priest and our sacrifice so that our sins might be forgiven. And it's here in the Beatitudes that we find a true snapshot of what it means to be blessed. Knowing Jesus is where we find the good life. Being re- remade in a good relationship with our Maker is where we find true blessing. See, Jesus is not telling us how to be blessed here. He's simply describing what it means to be blessed. Blessed. And some of us will see in this passage a set of instructions. And again, I would just reiterate, that's not what Jesus is trying to do. Uh, in State College, there are these trucks that drive through all the time. I don't know if you see them here. Cane trucks, big 18-wheeler trucks, green uh, ink on the side, cane. And they have this slogan that's hard to miss if you're near one of these trucks. Be kind, be careful, be yourself. Which sounds nice enough at first, but if you think about this, it's sort of nonsensical. What if you were not kind and careful? How, how can you be yourself if you're not kind and careful? It's simply instructions, good things, be kind, be careful, be yourself. The Beatitudes function a lot more like the Marine Corps slogan. The few, the proud, the Marines... I'm not a Marine, but it's not telling me what to do. It's not telling me how to be a Marine. It's simply saying there are few of them. They're proud. They're Marines. It's just a statement of fact. And that's how the Beatitudes function. So let's look at the blessed life as Jesus describes it. There are three groups of blessings described here. And the first four describe our relationship with God. That is, it's empty naturally. In and of ourselves, we are empty. And the second set of three describes what God does in us and through us. He fills us in order to serve others. And the last two describe what God does in us through others, and that is often persecution. What all of these have in common is that they describe the Christian's character rather than prescribe it. So let's start with the first four. Jesus is saying that all blessing from God hinges on this first beatitude. That's why he starts with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What he's saying here is it's critical. Because if you have ever felt empty on the inside, you might actually be moving in the direction of blessing and not away from it, which is not the way that we typically think. Uh, Tim Keller says that most people aren't poor in spirit, they're middle class in spirit. And I think I I know what he means. It's like someone who auditions on a uh, national television talent show, something like American Idol, and they think that they are a good singer. And they go in with the confidence that a good singer goes in and then you watch them audition and you cringe and you pause and maybe you laugh because they are not a good singer. They are poor in singing, but they think that they are rich in singing. They think they have the talent. And we watch because we want the judges to say, you do not have the talent. Middle class in spirit sounds like it's a better place to be than being poor in spirit. But middle class in spirit projects blessing. And when you project blessing... You are not in a place to receive God's true blessing. Jesus tells a story in Luke 18 that really helps illustrate the point. He tells this story to some who trusted in themselves, that is, they were middle class in spirit. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. And two men went into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee, you know, a church leader, and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust or an adulterer, or even like this tax collector. I I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And you can almost see him taking a selfie, a spiritual selfie, right? Hashtag blessed. I've got it. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, blessed, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see it? This man is a picture of the first four Beatitudes, at least. He is poor in spirit. He mourns his sinfulness. He's meek. He is hungry for righteousness because he knows that he has no righteousness of his own. He knows that the sins that he has committed, he's not just committed against other people, he has offended a holy and just God To be clear, both men in this passage are objectively poor in spirit, but only one of them knows it. When Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit, he's saying blessed are those who know that they are poor in spirit. Who know who they have offended. The one who's poor in spirit here is not projecting blessing. He knows that any blessing he he will have has to be given to him. And this is why you really can't accept Jesus' teaching without accepting who he is as well. He's the son of God. Because if all we need is good teaching, tweak a few aspects of our lives, then we're middle class in spirit. We're not poor in spirit. We we won't really mourn over our sin if we just need better instruction. And we certainly won't hunger and thirst for true righteousness. We will look a whole lot more like the man who said, glad I don't look like this guy. And you won't pray. Not real prayer, at least. Not the kind of prayer that comes in the kingdom. Prayer that honors the true king kind of prayers that God delights to answer that come from a place of poverty of self. The kind of prayer that comes from a poor heart, a broken heart, a hungry heart. And so the first four Beatitudes describe, they describe people in God's kingdom as people who know they are poor and empty. And what makes Christianity unique from every other religion from every other philosophy is that it's not the good who get blessing. It's not those who earn it who get the good life. It's not those who are better than others who are blessed. Because we know salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God does not draw near to those who think they're put together He doesn't draw near to projections of blessing. He draws near to poverty. He draws near to broken, which is really good news if you have ever felt that way. He doesn't draw near to those who think they're put together. And yet, those in the kingdom are called and equipped to love others. Jesus' is teaching, you read the Bible, it's all about loving others. Paul says you fulfill the law if you love. We're called to love, commanded to love. But how do we love if we're empty? And the answer is we must be filled by the blesser. He draws near to those who need mercy with the result that they become merciful themselves. And their poverty... And their mourning and their meekness and their hunger is promised with the kingdom of heaven and comfort, the earth, and satisfaction. The Sermon on the Mount shows us what character looks like to those who belong to the kingdom. Chances are, if you're in this room, you want to be a kind person, a loving person, a merciful person. What I think we realize is that even those who are middle class in spirit like the idea of being loving and merciful to others. But God blesses us first by meeting us in our emptiness. We cannot love unless we have first received love. We cannot extend mercy unless we first receive mercy. And so the next three Beatitudes show us that Jesus must us. It's characteristic that those who live in the kingdom love others, serve others, are merciful themselves. So, the mark of someone who has received great mercy is that they become merciful. And the clear implication is if you would really love others, if you would really be full of mercy and peace towards others, you must be poor in spirit. In other words, you have to come to a point where you realize that unless God fills me with himself, I realize I have nothing of any value, eternal value, to offer others. But Jesus tells us when you're poor, God will give you mercy and he will fill you with purity and peace. Now, here's what's beautiful about the kind of character, kingdom character that Jesus is presenting with us here challenges two kinds of people which is most of us and most of our culture and one kind says loving others is the most important thing and so of course you've got to be merciful but it's more important than what you believe being a good person being kind being merciful is more important than what you believe and the other kind says well what you believe is more important but frankly it's hard for me to be kind or merciful or loving with somebody who disagrees with me. And Jesus is saying kingdom character is both pure in heart and merciful. How do you go from being poor in spirit to being pure in heart? Martin Luther says it this way, watch and ponder what God says and replace your heart's ideas with the Word of God. I'll read that again. Watch and ponder what God says and replace your heart's ideas with the Word of God. You see, kingdom character is marked both by a heart that is learning to think like the Bible and it's marked with a love and a mercy that extends itself to others. In other words, how we think about God and how we act in His name are two sides of the same coin. Jesus says they're both essential to kingdom character. And Jesus says this combination will often lead to persecution. Now, I'm hesitant to use the persecution word in America. We are of the most privileged Christian generation that's ever lived. But there is real persecution that happens around the world simply because people want to proclaim the name of Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not talking about being made fun of or you know, being socially marginalized, though that's real. I'm talking about houses taken, children taken. Persecution is a reality more so in this century than ever before because people have been marked by this kingdom character. And here's what Jesus is getting at. And he's going to flesh this out. I commend you to reread the Sermon on the Mount this week. You see him flesh out what it looks like to be blessed and how this life, this character, lives itself out. But what he's saying is if you have the kind of faith that can hold on to King Jesus, even in the face of great opposition, it means that Jesus has blessed you. If you can hold on when people make fun of you or take things from you or uh, slander your good name, Jesus has blessed you. He's given you the kind of character that will hold on in the face of great opposition. So you might be thinking, well, Joe, now that I think about it, it sounds like I'm a lot more middle class in spirit than poor in spirit. The people that I argue with about religion would probably not characterize me as merciful. The thoughts that run through my mind on any given day could be characterized as anything but pure. I don't have the willpower to be patient with my spouse or my kids. I waste too much of the day. I'm not sure I have the character that Jesus is talking about. How would I hold on to him in the face of real great opposition? And do you know who asks these kinds of questions? The poor in spirit. Those who know that it is not up to them and they're not up to the task to hold on by themselves. Those who are beginning to hunger and thirst more and more for righteousness because they're learning to mourn and mourn over their sin. Maybe you had the kind of week where the sin that you have seen in yourself has shocked you. Maybe it's a sin that you have had a long time and you're just now being convicted of it and you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessing is not for those who are good enough. It's for those who know the blesser. A kingdom character, this kind of kingdom character, it's important for us to remember has only ever been embodied truly by one person. The Lord Jesus Christ, who emptied himself of all glory and became poor and humble. And he mourned the sinfulness around him, and not because he was trying to be better than everyone else, though he was perfect, but because he loved the people who were sinning. And he mourned the sin that he saw. He was merciful, he was pure, and he was despised for it. He was persecuted for his character so that we might know the love of God. And more than that, so that our character might become more like his character. Jesus died for those who realize that they cannot pay off or work off the sinful debt that they have amassed for themselves. He died for those who realize that we have dug a hole too deep for ourselves to dig ourselves out. And Jesus died for those who aren't just poor and hungry but who come to realize they are poor and hungry for him because we come to realize that righteousness is not an abstract idea it's not an abstract set of laws merely it's a person jesus dies for those who realize they're hungry and they are thirsty for the righteousness of jesus christ we're hungry and we're thirsty for him Because the character that Jesus will develop in His kingdom people always remains dependent upon Him. One of the commentaries that I read sort of painted a picture, so I want to give credit where credit is due. Frederick Dale Bruner talks about it this way. He says, you actually see a progression in these Beatitudes. And the first four... The poverty of spirit is where you see see imagine a person on their knees with their hands lifted up to God saying help I'm empty I cannot do this on my own and then the next three Beatitudes what you see is this same person out walking with hands extended out loving and serving and being merciful to others and then you see the same man on his back Beaten down by the persecution of others with his hands back up to God saying, help. Emptiness filled to serve others and beaten back down in emptiness. And the point is we never outgrow this poverty of spirit. We never stop being dependent upon the one who blesses those who need what they cannot do for themselves kingdom dependence acknowledges that the only spiritual riches we will ever have must be given to us in Jesus. And so the only real God-honoring love and the only real God-honoring mercy is really a sharing of what we have received from Jesus Christ, bought for us by his life and his death and his resurrection so that we might be co-heirs with him. Life in the kingdom is hard. And when life and people make your faith feel weak, that's when we must remember we were poor in the first place. Fill us, Lord Jesus, so that we can continue to love others in your name for your glory, extending your love and your mercy to those who need love and mercy just like I need love and mercy. You see, we cannot manufacture this kind of character on our own. There are counterfeit examples all around, but it's not the same thing. But Jesus died to make us his own. And when we receive him by faith alone, he doesn't guarantee that life will be any easier. Not necessarily, but we will be rich in him. Still poor in spirit, because those riches are not our own, but we will be rich in him. And he tells us that we will learn to love others in a way that is not natural to us. We will learn to be merciful to others in a way that we weren't born into this world capable of being. It comes because Jesus Christ blesses the poor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, our Lord. We thank you for the ways that you have reminded us that we are poor in and of ourselves. And I confess that I forget that too often. I'm middle class in spirit at heart. And so we pray that you would continue to pursue us by your word that you would continue to pursue us by your Spirit, that you would remake, remake in us a character that looks more like the Lord Jesus, that is loving and merciful, that is faithful in the face of great opposition, and is utterly dependent upon your grace. We pray this in his name. Amen.